So my first four or five phone calls, I walked into it all cocky and puffy chested and was just right to the point. And so, and I got basically slapped around, right? Like <laughs> my first year, my first like five people were all like, what are you talking about? No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and so then I reset and I really talked about it and I wrote a script and it went kind of like this. If you're an active real estate investor and you're looking to do larger deals, you're in the right place. We are gonna go and take the conceptual type of stuff that you listen to from other real estate podcasts and bring it down to the tactical, the nitty gritty, the actual actionable types of things that other real estate investors that went big did to grow their own real estate empire. You're listening to the Go Big Live podcast. I'm your host, Matt Druin. What is up, everyone? I am Matt Druin, the host of Go Big Live Real Estate Investors podcast. I have a very awesomely special, awesome guest today, Mr. Senate Eskridge. A little bit about his bio is, uh, actually, let me just pull this up here. I lost the actual page. See, this is a live show, folks. You know, the host always makes, makes mistakes, but maybe Brian can edit that out. <laughs> All right, cool. So Senate's expertise in the Magic Valley area made him the perfect fit for multifamily investing. Since then, alongside his wife, Carrie, they have acquired over 647 units across the country, founded the Idaho Summit, and continue to be active in seminars across the country, making Senate a go-to expert for many people navigating the go big space. So today, we're going to give a little bit of information about his background and his focus now and do a deep dive on his first big deal or what was big to him at the time. So without further ado, thanks for coming on the show, Senate. I appreciate it. Matt, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. All right. So let's get into it. All right, I ask everybody, you were born and now you're here. What happened in between? <laughs> I love the way you asked that question, you know, because there's so, so many different directions I can take that. I like to tell people I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. I was the kid that sold candy out of their locker in, in grade school and, and junior high, that kind of stuff. I always knew that if it was meant to be, it was up to me, right? I had to go out there and I had to go and build my own fortune, my own future. And with that, you know, I've had a couple of W2 jobs in my lifetime, but I was never a career guy, like I, or a corporate guy. I was, when I did have those W2 jobs, I was always the rebel and kind of bucking the trend. And some people call it an intrapreneur, right? I'd go get a job, but I would make it my own business. And my last W2 job, they actually, when I left it, everyone asked, hey, what'd you sell that business for? That type of thing. Because everyone thought I owned it. And that's just my personality. I've always been the guy that wanted to own it. Now, that sounds glamorous when you say that. And I know, but what people don't realize when I say that is there's tons of ups and downs that come with it. You know, the thing about being an entrepreneur, I've heard somebody say that's the only career where people will work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40 hours a week for someone else. Mm -hmm. And that's a hundred percent the truth, right? I, I go through ups and downs. Um, I I've done everything from network marketing companies to selling industrial supplies over the phone. Like literally I was the guy that called plumbers and asked them if they wanted to buy Teflon tape over the phone, truck brokering, all that kind of stuff. But my last real career, long-term career was in financial advising. I was a financial advisor, literally like helping people buy stocks, bonds, mutual funds, life insurance, that type of thing. I did financial services for like 10 years. And at the same time, I was investing in real estate, right? I was telling like few of my clients, like here, invest in this diversified stock portfolio 
And then I'm over here buying rental properties. <laughs> and it just, I did that for like 10 years and I built a portfolio of single family houses that became unmanageable. And I realized I sat back and I looked at my life and I figured out very quickly that I had basically two, three full-time jobs, right? I'm a father of five. And I have an amazing wife, Carrie, which you mentioned in my bio that we partner on lots of things together. And I also had my financial advising business and I had this big, huge rental property portfolio, which was just, I was underwater. Mm -hmm. So I had to shift gears and I moved into multifamily at that point. That's when I decided to move into multifamily. And I know we'll talk about the specifics of that as we get in further, but with that, I, I got into multifamily, joined a couple of uh, mentorship groups. I later became a coach for a mentorship group. I've been coaching now for about two years, teaching people how to buy multifamily. Mm -hmm. And I've sold all of my single family and moved everything into multifamily. Um, the one little caveat that I always miss when I say that, I'm a personal development junkie. You mentioned in my bio, my wife and I own the Idaho Business Summit, which uh, is a personal development conference here in Southern Idaho. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm going to Tony Robbins next week. I just love personal oh. development. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's on my bucket list is to go to a Tony Robbins event. Absolutely. So I want to back up a little bit in the company that was like always going rogue and like wanting to make decisions, even regardless of what position I was in, whether I was a leasing consultant working mm -hmm. at a 720 unit property, or whether I was direct, director of operations for a national real estate development company. So that sort of thing is like, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs are also a little bit hard-headed as well and tend to want to hammerhead their way through deals. And I spent the first 11 years of my real estate investing career asking for no help whatsoever. I thought I had it all figured out. And I would, if I didn't have it figured out, I'd figure it out and get my teeth kicked in. So like what led you to that vulnerable like moment to actually ask for help from somebody? Like I know I was just getting crushed. And I was like, I can't do, I can't do this. I put myself into that corner and I knew that I had to reach out and get help. So what happened to you? Well, I was very similar to you when I was doing single family, you know, I did flip fix and flips. I did burrs. I did buy and holds. I did rentals. I figured it all out on my own. And now I read some books. I spent a lot of time on bigger pockets, like reading and, and listening to podcasts, but I never had assistance. I never had help. And I made a ton of mistakes along the way, you know, like not seeing a foundation issue that cost me 10 grand or buying a house with the wrong columns or like all those types of things. Like you make mistakes, right? That's what you do when you're in there figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And when I sat down and I started, I when I decided that I was going to go into multifamily and shift away from say hundred, $200,000 single family houses to five, 10, $15 million multifamily buildings. I just kind of did the math on my mistakes. And, and when I looked at this mentorship group and it was going to be $25,000 to join it, I was like, if I save one mistake, right? If I don't mess up one time because of something I learned in this group, it's going to pay for that. And so it made total sense to me to do that. And as I mentioned, I'm also a personal development junkie, right? And so I just knew that I needed more help than I could do on my own. And so. I went through multiple different mentorship groups. I've actually been a member of seven different groups over the, over the years. As I mentioned, I'm a big fan of knowledge and personal development. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So 
Yeah, I'd like to put something on a spreadsheet in terms of like quantifying all my mistakes. And I think it would be in the multiple seven figures, not just on actual mistakes that led to money getting set on fire or out of my pocket, but mistakes due to uncertainty or not looking at the right things the right way that led to an enormous amount of opportunity cost that we is very difficult to measure, but it is a thing. So let's fast forward a little bit. You were to talk about uh, your first larger deal, kind of tell us the origin of that, kind of the seminal moment where you found that opportunity and to just tell us a story about it. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned before, I was in single family. And when I say single, I had some duplexes, some triplexes, things like that, but nothing that was of scale, as you mentioned. <clears throat> and I knew that I wanted to scale up. So I, I started selling some of my single family houses, had a little bit of cash set aside and I started underwriting deals, you know, and I teach people there's a hundred to one rule. And what that means is you have to underwrite a hundred deals to get one to close mm -hmm. and break that down. You should be offering on one in 10, right? And then you should get th three out of those 10 accepted. And of those three, you should close on one because one will fall out or whatever. And my story is a hundred percent testimony to that. I started looking at every deal that is in Idaho. Like I looked at probably a hundred deals, 85, 90 before I got to this one. And it was, it's a 33 unit uh, property in Pocatello, Idaho that we bought for $3.3 million. Right. So I was going from hundred thousand single fam dollar single family houses, right. That, you know, with the right liquidity, things like that, most people could write a check for mm -hmm. to something that was 30 times that, that value. And <clears throat> I found this property through one of my residential brokers, funny story. He, <laughs> he had on his signature line in his email, it says, view all my properties, everything's for sale. Mm -hmm. And this guy literally has an Excel sheet. He still does it today. He updates <laughs> every property that he owns and says, it's for sale. Make me an offer. Mm -hmm. That's how I found this property. And so every email this guy sends out, everyone knows that these are out there. So I click on it. I mean, I've bought several duplexes, triplexes from this guy and he had this 33 unit property and I initially underwrote it. I spent way too much time going through analyzing it. I had analysis paralysis took way too long for my offer and finally came up with a price of $3.1 million. Mm -hmm. And I called the guy and he accepted my offer and said, do you want to, I mean, I said, I want to go do due diligence. Will you, will you accept the offer? Right. And so <clears throat> he said, yes, verbally. And we went to the property, did all of our inspections, all that kind of stuff. And while we're there, we made the offer official. Sent a, sent him a contract and he's a residential broker. So he pushed back on our contract and wanted to use the state issued forum, that kind of stuff, like back yeah. and forth on that conversation. And I'm driving, right? So it's a two hour drive from my house. And he says, okay, we're good. I'm going to send you the contract because it's, he's going to send it to me. Mm -hmm. And it's a, again, state issued residential form. So it came through that same process you get for single family houses. And I said, great, I'll sign it when I get home. I'm about an hour away. Mm -hmm. About 45 minutes later, I'm 10 minutes, 15 minutes from my house, 10, 15 minutes from signing this thing. He calls me and says, 
Sam, that I just got a better offer. I'm sorry. I'm canceling. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> like I've been this whole hour long drive. I've been calling people, bragging, right? Yes. Saying how great it was, how excited I am. And I'm like, well, we already had a verbal deal. I was like, I'm sorry, but money's money. That's $200,000 they offered me. More. 3.3 million. And so whatever, I lost the deal, right? Now I'm bummed. Yeah. And about 30 days, 40 days later, this guy calls me. and says, Senate, the other people can't perform. They backed out. Do you want it? But if you want it, you have to come in at that same price they were at, 3.3 mm -hmm. million. And so I said, yes, immediately. Didn't do any more paperwork, didn't do any more research, nothing. I just said, give it to me. Yeah. He sent the contract to me and I signed it within five minutes. Uh, lesson learned there, okay? If you're driving down the road and you get a contract sent to you that you want, pull over, don't sign it while you're driving, pull over and sign it right now. Because not signing it cost me $200,000 and four or five weeks. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I want to talk about, you got this thing under contract, right? 3.3. Tell me about the capital stack. Like what was, what was the equity, the debt? What kind of debt did you get on it? Did you have all the cash to put, to put into this thing? Or did you have to raise some capital? Tell us about that story. No, there's so much to unpack there. So. First, let's talk about how much money we had, you know, so my partner, Chris and I were the main, the lead people on this. And we brought in another local group that we've worked with before. There's three, three guys that are in that group. So, so the five of us went into this deal and we had about mm, half the money that we needed, right? For our down payment. <clears throat> the challenge was we didn't have enough net worth to go and do this on our own. We, we discovered, and some of you may know that when you get into multifamily and commercial loans, they look at your lending package totally different. They want to have somebody, a person with enough net worth to cover the entire loan. Mm -hmm. And our lender wanted one person that could cover it all. Okay. Not the group, not the conglomerate. We later discovered that we could have pushed back and forced them to take the group of the five of us could have covered it. No problem. But they said they needed one person with enough. So we went and got another partner at that point where to bring in that net worth. Okay. So now there's basically three team, three, three different teams on there, a husband and wife, a team of three, and then my partner, Chris and I, mm -hmm. and we sat down and we looked at the amount of money that we were going to put in and the amount of CapEx that we wanted to put in. And we figured out that we needed to raise about another $600,000, dollars mm -hmm. And I was new, kind of green, and was itching to do my first syndication. And yeah. so I said, well, let's just syndicate this thing, right? <laughs> and so we did. And so I went through and we did a 506B syndication, my first one of those that I did, which, by the way, is a ton of work. If you guys have not put together a syndication, we could dive into the specifics of how to do it and what I did and the mistakes I made there. But long story short, I did that uh, to be able to raise, we needed to raise about $750,000 total to be able to do that. <clears throat> and so we went down that road and we were using a bridge lender, which I'm going to refrain from saying the bridge lender's name, but okay. we we're using the bridge lender because there was a lot of CapEx that needed to be done and we wanted to have their help. And we got 
all the way through this. The bridge lender had us approved. The bridge lender had underwritten us, underwritten our KP, underwritten the team. We had the money raised, but everything in the account, and we were about a week, two weeks from closing. And the bridge lender calls us and says, I don't think you're going to be able to exit this on your refi. We're out. Wow. Two weeks from closing. So I had to scramble and I shifted gears and I started calling every lender I knew. And I finally called the local credit union that I'd had a lot of relationships with before. And these guys just saved our rear ends. Mm -hmm. They came in and they gave us a great loan with a long-term fixed rate interest rate. So it was a bet. There were better terms on the interest rate for a longer period of time, but they had a lower loan to value ability and they weren't going to cover our CapEx. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden we have to raise like another $300,000 <laughs> and in do all that in two weeks. Mm -hmm. We couldn't get it done. So we called the seller and he did give us an extension very nicely. Cost us $40,000, I think it was, in earnest money, additional earnest money to extend it, which is not a big deal because you get that back at closing, right? Mm -hmm. But it just was to give him more of assurance that we're actually going to close this thing. Mm -hmm. And so now it cost, that cost us more time, not really any more money, but more time. And a lot of headache because I had to go find a whole bunch more money, right? I was the primary person that was raising capital. The rest of our team did contribute to that and help bring in investors. But I was the person that was out there beating the street. I was my primary job was to find investors. So now I had to go out and find a whole bunch more. And we finally closed on it. And after it was a long drawn out, almost nine months it took from my, that original phone call I talked about. No, I'm sorry. From the original underwriting, I guess, to closing was about nine months. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the capital raising part of things. Cause like you had some partners coming into this that where you had half the original capital raised. I wasn't expecting this, this much of a heartache in this story. So I'm glad we're covering it, but hopefully it's not bringing you PTSD in the process. So what was your method for raising capital from people that were in your sphere of influence, like how did those conversations go? How did the process go in terms of the order of operations? Was it like you picked up the phone and melted the phone line and going through your phone? Did you have a CRM that was already in place? Like, tell us about that in specificity. Yeah. So I literally, it was guerrilla marketing. I didn't have a CRM. I didn't have a system. I didn't have any of that kind of stuff. I literally just picked up my cell phone and started calling my friends and family called everybody I knew. And they all knew that I had done real estate before. And so they trusted that I could do single family. And they, a lot of them, they said, Hey, you got a deal. Yes. I want to invest. Cause I'd done a little bit of that before, but it was always like, it's a hundred thousand dollar house, right? Mm -hmm. This was my first multi-million dollar deal. And so a lot of people were scared. I probably called, I'm going to guess 200 people. Mm-hmm to raise about a, well, my, my partners contributed some money. So we, I had to raise probably about $700,000 and I called at least 200 people to do that. So do the math on how much I got per phone call. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so how did that, you know, this is maybe the first time you called these people and with an actual specific opportunity, 
what did that conversation start with? With did you have a script that you used to, to do that and have that conversation? And how did that like sort of flow? Was it like did you get straight to the point when you picked up the phone and called them? Is oh hey it's Senna I haven't heard from it in a while and you said hey. I'm raising $700,000 for a real estate deal. These are specifics. We're going to pay you back in five years. Like how did, how did that kind of like uh, dialogue go? Yeah. So it, there was more than one iteration. Okay. So my first four or five phone calls, I walked into it all cocky and puffy chested and was just right to the point. And so, and I got basically slapped around, right? Like <laughs> my first my first like five people were all like, what are you talking about? No. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and so then I reset and I really talked about it and I wrote a script and it went kind of like this. And it was, as you know, I've been doing real estate for 10 years. I'm just moving into bigger deals and I want to start allowing other people to come along my journey and get profits as well. Right. And work with me. Mm -hmm. And I thought of you, you made the short list. I wanted to give you the opportunity to work with me. So it was kind of a position of posture, like, Hey, I have this thing that you want. Mm -hmm. And, and then I invited them to a webinar and I had an overwhelming response to my webinar. We had, I, like I said, I made 200 phone calls. I think we had 150 people on that webinar. Wow. Now we only had about. 30 people, I had to go back and check like 28, something like that actually invest. Mm -hmm. But so I didn't have a large percentage success rate of the people that actually invested on that mm -hmm. first deal, but it was a huge uptick on how many people were there, which by the way, served me so much later, right? Because even though those 150 people that didn't invest that first time, I would say at least half of those people have invested in future deals. Mm -hmm. Right. So, oh. so they just wanted to see what I had done and see what I was doing and that type of thing. And so we're talking about the first deal and you and I talked earlier about the law of the first deal and that type of thing, which is absolutely critical, but I would say staying power is a lot more important, mm -hmm. right? Because now when I've done 16 of these at this point in my life, if I call somebody and say, I have this deal, they don't question who I am. They don't question what I'm doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So the first two, one, two, three, they're the hardest. Yeah, no, hundred percent. What would you have done differently from the capital raising standpoint if you were to be able to rewind the, like rewind the clock? Because it sounded like you were scrambling essentially. Oh yeah. Yeah. The best advice I've ever heard for money, raising money or borrowing money or anything like that is you need to plant the seeds before you have a problem, right? So raise capital when you don't need it. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm not raising cow. I do not have an active deal this very minute in my life. I may have one next week, right? But I'm still working. I'm still sending out the emails. I'm still sending out the newsletters. I'm doing the work today so that when I have a raise next week or next month, it's a lot easier. All right. So that really smooths out those spikes is if to do the work ahead of time. And so if I would have spent six months, even a month earlier, making phone calls and telling people, Hey, I'm going to do this. This is mm -hmm. going to happen. I'm shifting gears from here to here. That type of thing, that preliminary work would have saved me a lot. That is such good advice, man. I really appreciate that. I preach that all the time. You know, the best time to be asking for money is when you don't need it. <laughs> so 
I wanted to fast forward a little bit. I know there's a lot of other details that are in this deal, but I want to get to what this deal does for you today or what it did for you fast forwarding to today for you and your wife. Yeah. So this deal, it, I mean, it's, it was my first deal. So maybe it was beginner's luck or whatever, but it's one of the best deals I've seen on a percentage basis. In fact, I would say it's probably my second best performing deal on a percentage basis. I've got bigger deals. So obviously the numbers are bigger, but it's 33 units. And we bought it, like I said, for 3.3 million. And we've, we put mm, 500,000, I think into CapEx over the last couple of years, you know, this thing. And it may be a little bit less than that, you know, cause we had to put new roofs on. We've had to replace several water heaters, a lot of that kind of stuff, new flooring throughout the entire thing. Um, I would say the number one most important thing that this has done, however, is the, really the credibility that a lot of that first deal. And it was really that kind of break the ice, break the dam and to be able to go to get the next deal after that, uh, on a specific dollar amount percentage is increased, right? We're in, in this thing under 4 million and we just did an analysis on it. It's worth about five and a half to six, somewhere in that range, depending on which cap rate you use right now today, even with the higher interest rates, right? Yeah. So we could essentially double the value. We've essentially valued, doubled the value of that. And most of that is through my partners, right? I, I can't say that I've done that myself. An asset manager is the most valuable person on a team, by the way. I think that capital raisers get most of the credit, right? Because they're the ones out in front of the people doing investor relations and that kind of people thing. But the asset managers are the ones that are really doing the grind. And so I'd love to tell you some of the things that he's done to really increase that, but I couldn't do it without my partner, Chris. 100%. So... We are drawing this recorded version to a to a close pretty soon. We got our live studio audience waiting in the backstage right now. So, Senate, you have a free resource. I want to give you uh, the opportunity to tell people about it, and we'll definitely put the link to that in the show notes when we go on the release. So, tell us about it. Yeah. So, I told you earlier I do coaching, and I, I just love teaching people. So, I put together a free course on my website, which is just senateeskridge.com/course. Totally free, no cost to you. Put in your name and email address and it'll give you this. And it's just an introductory one-on-one about how to get started in multifamily. Wow. Uh, mainly it's geared towards the investor side. It's not a really an active resource, but it's more for the investors, but it'll be good for anybody that wants to go through it. And as I mentioned, it's totally free. So uh, hit me up, take advantage of it. Excellent. Excellent. All right. If you're listening to this right now, the recorded version, you want to get Direct access to uh, real estate titans like Senna Eskridge, Gino Barbaro, Chris Seveny, Reed Goosens, Matt Faircloth, Ashley Kerr, and a bunch of other people that are high-performing real estate professionals in the larger deal space. You got to join our Facebook group, Go Big Live Real Estate Investors Group on Facebook. Request an in, uh, invite. I'll let you in uh, so you can get uh, direct access and ahead of schedule, ahead of uh, podcast release schedule directly to our esteemed guests like Senate. So with that being said, signing out. Thanks for being on the show, Senate. Thanks for having me. 